I believe that tonight God is going to use Dr. Brown to clear the clouds and clutter concerning Christ and his kingdom. You know, the last video that we did like this with Dr. Brown, where he really brought light in, some people thought that we were shooting directly at a minister or a ministry, but that is not what we're doing. We're pointing to the man, Christ Jesus, and what he's like, and the responsibility we have as ministers to walk in his ways, in light and in truth. So that's the point of tonight. We can look at Jesus and see from the scriptures what is right and what is wrong. I was looking at First Timothy uh, 3 earlier today, and uh, it was speaking specifically about uh, the pillar in the ground of truth. The church is the pillar in the ground of truth. And just before this, he starts laying out parameters like this is what you should look for. This is what is good uh, in a minister. And I feel like it's just the biblical way to recognize God has not only standards, but he's showing something concerning what the church should be like. So um, if you haven't got a hold of this book, Playing with Holy Fire by Dr. Brown, I, I encourage you to either pick it up and read it or, or, or listen to it. But the content in here blessed me tremendously and, and helps recognize in the midst of charismatic Christianity, there's a right way to do things, you know, and it's important. As a matter of fact, I wanted to start with this section from here. This is Dr. Brown writing. He says, uh, concerning um, getting our own houses in order, the, the house of God in order. He says, I don't want to quench the spirit or we're still speak against the spirit. And I know we try not to be judgmental. I mean, we're all right there. We don't want to be judgmental people. But it's one thing to be judgmental and spirit quenching. It's another thing to address and confront error. Failing to do so actually quenches and grieves the spirit. Wow. Why have we allowed so many abuses to continue in our midst? Why are we so reluctant to correct and rebuke? He says, it's not everyone's place to confront a sinning or straying leader, but surely it is the place of some of us even to appeal to that person with a spirit of humility and grace. Why do so few of us do this? Have we forgotten Proverbs 27, 5, open rebuke is better than secret love? Do we no longer believe that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful? Psalm 27, 6, if we really love people, why don't we tell them the truth? My goodness, if we really love people, why don't we tell them the truth? If we really reverence the spirit, why are we so silent? If we really honor the Lord, why do we act? Why do we not act with more holy jealousy? So that's what we're going to be nailing tonight. And I'm so excited because the last video, there was so many people that got set free. They felt liberated and able to realize that Jesus is kind and good, and Jesus wants to uplift you and strengthen you. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll just kind of go one by one with Dr. Brown. Father, send forth light and truth today. Send forth light and truth today, and let it work so deep in our hearts. Reveal to us the nature of your Son, who is the perfect manifestation of your ways, your goodness, your love your justice, your truth, and your precious name. Work in us tonight. Anoint Doc tonight. Give him clarity of thought and discernment and help him to speak, Lord, with total recall from the Holy Spirit of the Scriptures. 
in your precious name. Amen. Doc, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on. I'm going to just pin you. So Doc, thank you so much for coming on. Well, glad, glad to be here. I think if I just talk, at least I'll be seen. But yeah, whatever, whatever I can uh, uh, stand with one of our grads and, and be of help and service, especially when they have a beard like that. Uh, very, very glad to very glad to do it, to be with everybody here and everybody who'll be watching in the days ahead. So let's go for it, man. All right. So in the midst of such things like this, where people are saying this is abusive, that's abusive. How can we check our hearts to see if we have rebellion in our hearts? All right. So we understand that rebellion is not just weakness or making a mistake or trying to do the right thing and falling short. Rebellion is willfully saying no. Rebellion is I see the truth. I know the truth. I know what's right. And I choose to do something else. So that's that's certainly something very serious. We know 1 Samuel 5 tells us that rebellion is, is like the sin of witchcraft. So on the one hand, uh, it's easy to spot. On the other hand, we can deceive ourselves as easily as we can deceive someone else. We can be in rebellion and deceive ourselves into thinking that we're in the truth. So like anything else in our lives, First and foremost, we get on our faces before God, and we ask him to search our hearts. We, and we ask him to have mercy on us in our weakness and to reveal if there's rebellion in us, to, to reveal if there's defiance in us, to reveal if, if there are things hidden or patterns. To show us and just say, Lord, I, I really want you. I want to serve you and honor you. Now, as you're doing that, you may immediately be reminded of things that are rebellious, that where you know the will of God, where God's told you plainly uh, to ask someone's forgiveness uh, or, or to forgive someone and, and you've refused to do it or some other areas. And he, he may bring that to mind. Okay, you're praying about this, but what about this and that? If you really don't see anything, if there's nothing that you're consciously doing in rebellion against God or his will, then the other thing to be to do would be to to look at how you respond to different things. In in other words, when you're presented with what's right and true, where here's okay, this is the rule, this is the law. It could be the law of the country of the whatever the situation is, and I'm defiant towards that. Okay, that that would reveal that there's something wrong there. So I would ask God to search my heart. I would look at my own life and ask, is there anything where I know the will of God and I'm refusing to do it? And it's not just a momentary weakness. It's willful. Uh, it, it is willfully determining I am not going to do what I know is to be right. Could Could you give us maybe an example of like what could a person look for to say I'm under unhealthy leadership and somebody could say I'm under healthy leadership? Okay, so getting outside of myself now, in terms of my own life and looking at the situation I'm in in a, uh, in a congregation or ministry where I'm serving, uh, healthy leadership, let's, let's talk with healthy leadership. Healthy leadership is secure. Healthy leadership is, is not trying to gain something from others. Healthy leadership is, is itself functioning well. In other words, healthy leadership comes out of healthy leaders. So if I'm, if I'm observing the, the life of the leader or leadership couple or 
the leaders plural that I'm working with, that I'm serving under. And I see in their own lives things that I would like to emulate. I see in their own lives consistency. I see godliness. I see self-control. I see healthy relationships. I, I see people that that are mature. That's that's positive. If I see people who are short-tempered, if I see people where everything is a threat, every you know, a super touchy. Uh, if if I see people that that are dishonest in different ways, that have no good relationships because nobody can work with them or get close to them, then that's going to concern me about their own health. So healthy leaders will lead in a healthy way. Unhealthy leaders will lead in an unhealthy way. We we reproduce who we are. It's that's just the way things are going to work out. So if I'm in an environment where the leaders are healthy, that means that while the leaders may have a, a, a vision or a goal, let's say that you're you're part of a school and someone's leading that, or part of an evangelistic ministry, someone's leading that, they have a they have a goal, they have a purpose. They're, they will not drive you into the ground and hurt you or take advantage of you to see their goals and vision fulfilled because they are following Jesus. We're not just talking about some business where someone's a cutthroat CEO. We're talking about followers of Jesus leading a ministry. If you're in a congregation, then the ultimate goal of that shepherd is your well-being, your strength, your health in the Lord. If, if he has to correct you and put you in the right path, he'll, he'll do that. But his goal is not, I want to get more money out of this person. I want to get more work out of this person. The goal is I want to see that person as healthy as possible. In an unhealthy situation, the very style or method of the leaders is to your detriment. Uh, in other words, if, if, I, if I look at our own ministry, there are plenty of things I don't do well, which is why I have others do them for me. So I can do the things that, that I'm called to do. But uh, everyone that works for me understands they're not just employees. They're, they're part of a team where we're working together for God's purposes, that they have value as children of God as well, and that I never want to push them or do anything uh, to them that's unhealthy for them spiritually. So in order for me to, to reach the goal of our ministry or work, I need people working with me, but that's it. It's, it's a team working together. And then the other question would be in my interaction with this person or receiving from this person's ministry, does it ultimately strengthen me in God or does it beat me down into insignificance? Does it make me feel worthless or falling short? Um, a couple of examples. One, one of my grads some years ago went to work with a, a traveling minister and that person sat down with my PA many years ago uh, and, and said to him, hey, how's it working with, how's it go working with Dr. Brown? I'm going to be so-and-so's PA, and can you give me some input? So my colleague gave him all kinds of input, and so it worked, but it didn't work because this guy was kind of a prima donna and would, would in public, you know, ministering at a church, then in, then in a room with other leaders, would berate this his PA would yell at him and lose his temper was abusive to him as a person. Well, that that's that's unhealthy on every score and unbiblical. Even though he's the senior leader and the other guy's there to help, it it was a destructive relationship. I was in a situation the other day where I I was getting ready to do my radio broadcast in another campus, and there had been a mix up in communication. They were replacing some the the internet system. 
and weren't able to accommodate me that day. There was miscommunication, but I was literally there ready to do the sound check 30 minutes before the show. And the young man that was overseeing things was called because he wasn't there, called over to meet with me. And, and I said, what happened? You know, I'm about to do this show. And I actually had to call our guy short notice, get a replacement show for the radio in 30 minutes, et cetera. So there was a miscommunication. I wasn't happy with it. I also understood it was not his fault at all. I also understood that in his culture, they're tremendously honoring to leaders. So at that point, the issue is not the radio show. The issue is not my audience or what the issue is. I'm a, I'm a respected senior leader here. Here's a young, impressionable man. I don't want him to walk away uh, under it or feeling upset. And I said to him, it's a complete miscommunication. It's not your fault at all. I said, see if you can push forward to make sure this doesn't happen the next time. And then I asked him, do you feel condemned by me in any way? Are you now I'm, I could give endless examples of, of things I do wrong and fail. But in this case, I can give an example of something I did right. Because the big issue then was, okay, this is this is part of the flock, part of the family, someone valuable in God's sight. It was not his, if it was his fault, I'd tell him plainly it was his fault. Let's do better next time. And then Sarah, let me pray with you. And I love you, man. Let's go forward. It wasn't his fault, but now he felt the brunt of my disappointment and surprise and what our team had to scramble to do. So my big issue is, you feel any condemnation? Do you understand we're good? He said, no, no, no condemnation, Dr. Brown. Okay. So as a leader, no matter what my situation is, I'm always concerned with the health of, of the other, the, the, how my life affects that other person. So the, one of the things that blesses me the most is when people tell me, maybe people that drive me around when I, when I go in and out of a place regularly, those that get to know me, uh, those that have worked with me and been around me with my family, what blesses me the most is when they say, Dr. Brown, what I learned most from you is hanging out with you privately, as opposed to hearing you preach or teach. I, I hope that there's been consistency in that way so that it, it produces confidence and encouragement in the lives of others. And conversely, when I uh, led our school many years ago and had more of a function in hiring people, bringing them on, I would give them a job description only to find out they were terribly frustrated, terribly frustrated because I'm bad at that. I, I'm, you just throw me into something and say, just do this and I'll figure it out. I thought I'd given them detailed job descriptions. All I produced was frustration in them because they didn't know what to do, what was expected of them. And I remember sitting down with some of our administrators and uh, uh, asked them, they go, that's, that's not a job description. That's nothing. It's like, I, I thought it was really comprehensive. They said, it's nothing. So I got out of a lot of stuff like that because I do it badly. I frustrate people. I, you know, I, I, I fall short in different ways and it's, it's unhealthy. So you got to find out what you do well and where you don't do it well, bring in others. But above all, we just remember that if our own lives are healthy and we're in the right position, then that'll just bring health, flourishing. Uh, people are not beaten down. They're not discouraged. They're, they're not waiting for your next reaction. Instead, they know, hey, this is an environment where, where we can thrive and really serve. And then all the more they'll throw themselves in. So sorry for the long answer, but it's such a broad question that that's what you got. <laughs> well, it's, it's really good. So uh, surrounding situations that we're talking about with abusive leaders and maybe somebody that's thought to be an abusive leader, but they're not, there seems to be 
gossip spoken about a lot. Can you tell us what gossip actually is and what gossip is not in a situation like this? Yeah, so gossip is not speaking the truth in love in the right setting. Gossip is not informing people of things that they need to know. That's not gossip. Gossip is talking behind people's backs in destructive ways, sharing things that do not need to be shared. Proverbs said they're, they're like choice morsels. They go, oh, I can't believe I heard this. So we are, we are spreading secrets. We are speaking evil of others. We are sharing information that's not our place to share. We are airing opinions as opposed to we're, we're giving constructive input into different situations or we're sharing something that needs to be shared for someone's good. So, for example, if, if uh, you call me and you say, hey, listen, I, I am really in, in pain. I got this condition and I don't know if I could make it without a, you know, I, I need God's intervention. And I said, hey, can I share it with others? By all means. Okay. So I get that word out to everybody and I did a good thing, right? Uh, conversely, you know, you call me going through a real difficult patch in your marriage and just said, hey, listen, I just want you to pray and please keep this between us. Well, obviously, I now get on social media and say, pray for so-and-so to go through marital problems. That's, that's gossip. Uh, and then the airing of opinions. You know, for example, uh, with all the, the charges and scandals re relating to IHOPKC and Mike Bickle, when I was called to get involved with that and spoke on November 5th at the congregation, I said plainly, look, I, I've, I thought of Mike as, as a very godly man and as a real friend. And it's shocking to hear some of the charges against him, but I don't know what's true or not. There, there must be an investigation for everything to come to light. And uh, I know some of the men uh, uh, with the advocacy group on behalf of those who've come forth as victims. And to my knowledge, they're good men. They don't have another agenda. So let's not demonize or speculate. Let's really pray for the truth to come to light. And let's, let's not be posting our opinions all over social media. So I, I got blasted for saying that by some, and they said, well, you get to say what you're saying. I said, well, I'm, what I'm saying is constructive, helpful, and just truthful. So if you've got that to say, wonderful, but endless posts, uh, this one's guilty, this one's lying, this one's this, and, and all it is is airing opinions. And the, the big question is, who cares what you have to say? Who cares what I have to say? Do I know the truth? Is this something to be shared with others? If not, we just need to zip it. And everyone's going to give their opinion about why you're doing what you're doing or why you say what you say. That's that's we don't have the right to do that. that that's not our place. And if, if we have a real concern, pray. Get on your knees and pray for God's best for that person that you're concerned about, rather than deciding you're going to air your opinions. You know, Proverbs makes clear that a, that a fool is is one that just airs their opinions. I've got a thought. I'm going to say it. So before we do, we really need to process it. Does this glorify the Lord? Does this edify others? Do I know it to be truthful? Is it my place to share this? Is it the right time to share it? Is it mixed with grace? Just, you know, go through the grid of, of Scripture, and if it doesn't pass that, then zip it. In the midst of this, uh, there may be several different people who've experienced the same thing from, from an abusive leader. 
Is there any danger in processing together? So uh, let's say that you had a bad experience with a particular leader or a particular church, and you've been really hurting over it, and you thought you were the only one. And you're talking to someone, maybe generically, about something you went through, and they begin to talk about what they went through generically, and then you discover you're talking about the same situation. Well, yeah, by all means, it's healthy to process it together. Uh, if in, Unless it's the type of thing where now you're bitter and the other person's bitter and you're just going to become more bitter. So, so you have to be careful. It's just like confessing your sin to one another. Well, if someone else is struggling with the same sin you're struggling with, that's not necessarily helpful. You end up either discouraging each other or encouraging each other. It's not so bad. It, maybe you're talking to a trusted friend. And it's perfectly right for you to say you went through this miserable situation in a church. Now, if we're talking about you know, sexual abuse or something that crosses certain lines, by all means, that needs to be addressed. You don't just keep that to yourself. By all means, that needs to be addressed uh, with other leaders. And if leaders within that organization won't hear, then to go to other leaders, 100%, it's important to do that. And it's important for other leaders to really listen carefully in cases like that. But let's say you're talking to a trusted friend and Tell them what you went through and say, well, that's, I never said this publicly, but that's exactly why I left that ministry also. Now you sit down together, but what you want to do is not form a bitter party where you just sit back and criticize and attack. You know, the saying hurt people, hurt people. And you've been wounded. So now you end up wounding others. What you need to do is be around others that can help you get to a place of health help you get to a place of, of trusting other leaders or ministries. So processing together is healthy if the right people are involved. If it's just feeding on one another's bad stories and negativity, it tends to, to produce something unhealthy. Uh, I've seen online groups form that were part of this ministry or part of this school or part of this church, and they share their negative stories one with another. And before you know it, they're they're attacking and accusing people that they used to love and honor. And a lot of it's just the, fi the figment of their own imagination, that things didn't go well for them, so they had to blame someone. But when when you've legitimately been hurt, it's very important to, to talk those things through, because otherwise you walk with, with a wound that's an unhealthy wound, or you're always gun-shy, or you become suspicious of, you know, you don't trust God the same way. So process it. With others who've been through similar things or with godly counselors or leaders, but process it in a healthy way, not in a way that just deepens the, the pity party or the anger or the bitterness. This is kind of changing a little bit of the subject, but is there a danger in, or what is the danger in thinking too high of ourselves and our ministries? Well, if there's any sin we want to avoid. It's the sin of pride. There's plenty of others that are quite major, but we know scripture says that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Uh, Jesus himself taught that the proud will be abased and the humble will be raised up. We know that pride is behind the fall of Satan. We know that first Timothy three that you, you reference speaks about those in leadership should not be novices lest they, they, they fall into pride and, and the, the devil's trap. So uh, it's very important that we don't think 
too highly of ourselves because then we start to make excuses for ourselves. Then we start to negatively judge the rest of the body. Then we, we start to uh, despise those that we don't think are as big or important as we are. And then because of pride, we begin to harden our hearts to criticism. Uh, we begin to, to not listen to those that are trying to help us. We, we justify wrong decisions we make because I'm God's man or I'm God's woman. So it's, it's really, really dangerous. And the other thing is you just plain deceive yourself. Who wants to be deceived like that? Who wants to think that they're the world's greatest baseball player when there's not a minor league team in the world that will even have them on their team? You know, why walk around in the spiritual fantasy? Um, and it, it can get really blatant. One of my colleagues told me a story about someone that was considered to be this powerful, anointed prophet healer years ago. And someone that was part of the team that traveled with him and led worship uh, confronted him because he was sleeping with different women. And this is a, a, as extreme as it gets. His response was, because of the gift that he has and the anointing that he carries, this is just a grace that God has given him. You, you talk about how, how do you get to that point of deception? Uh, David Wilkerson once told me, two very, very famous ministries that fell with sexual sin, he said that was not the reason they fell. They fell because of pride. And Proverbs even tells us that the mouth of a prostitute is a, a deep pit, and the one who's under God's wrath falls into it. So uh, I, I personally believe that one of the greatest ways to avoid a major fall is to stay low and to stay teachable and to stay humble. Uh, there was a ministry that was massive years ago and then terribly collapsed because of the sins of the leader. But at one point they said that they were God's ministry on the earth, that in every generation God raised up an individual and, and that this was the, the individual for their generation. They even said in their literature that went out that if, if you don't support this ministry, you're not in God's will. So you, you think of that extraordinary arrogance. In fact, I was talking to a grad from, it was in uh, a school of ours 40 plus years ago. We're dear friends now. And he was saying that he was in a particular country in Africa, working with the leaders in that country who had planted churches and Bible schools all over the country. And they were reading from the magazine of this particular ministry decades ago, saying that there are no Bible schools and churches in this country and his ministry is going to start there. But they're like, we're all over the country. What are you talking about? So that's that's a real real danger and again it's it's a root cause of why so many mess up and conversely though it's important to rightly understand god's hand on your life in other words to recognize you have a particular gift or anointing or a grace that people look to you a certain way with certain respect so so walk worthy of that carry yourself accordingly god's given you something Go with it. Be bold with it. Be full of faith. But recognize at all points, as Paul lays out in 1 Corinthians 3, one waters, uh, another one plants, another waters, but God gives the increase. So the one who plants is nothing, and the one who waters is nothing, but God who gives the increase. And as he says in 2 Corinthians 4, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may, may be of God and not of us. So there's a healthy balance there. But the real danger is thinking that we're somebody or thinking 
that the anointing is somehow us. I remember early on in the Brownsville revival, early on in my involvement, uh, at the end of a service, I had to confront one of the brothers that was just acting in an unruly way. Uh, some things had happened and they were just acting in an unruly way. And I want to just lovingly correct them. And instead of responding to me with the respect that I, I would have naturally expected, they kind of lashed out at me. It would almost be like a mother talking to a child and the child talks back with profanity. I, I was just shocked. I hadn't lost my temper. I wasn't angry, but I was shocked. I was kind of shaking on the inside. And right then, it was time for prayer. It was after the altar call. So Steve, John Kilpatrick, me, others, we now go lay hands on people in prayer. So, hey, come on, time to pray. We get the call. And I'm thinking, I can't pray for anybody. I hadn't sinned, hadn't lost my temper, but I was so shocked at, at this other brother's behavior. I was literally shaking on the inside. And I thought, all right. I'm just going to go home now, tell everybody can't pray. But I look out, the whole team's waiting like, Dr. Brown, are you, you ready? And uh, I thought, okay, I'll pray for a few people. It'll be evident nothing's happening. And then I'll just tell them I, I got to leave early. Well, the first person I lay hands on, it's almost like God tripled the normal jolt. I, I mean, it was intense the way the spirit fell on this person. And the second and the third and I was stunned. And the spirits that spoke to me said, it's not you. It's never been you. It's, it's my spirit. It's not you at all. And when I, when I told Nancy, my wife Nancy, the most amazing ministry story I ever heard related to Brownsville years ago, where I, I had, after a meeting in Canada, laid hands on everyone in the meeting after repenting and articles, like a thousand people including some Native Canadians, some First Nation people that were there. I just happened to remember them because they stood out. You know, I don't see First Nation people that much in the meetings. And we were kind of in a middle of nowhere place in Canada. I just laid hands on everybody. One year later, we got the report from two different people on the same day. And then I heard it confirmed firsthand by a spoke to one of the pastors who had been involved. But these Native Americans went back, Native Canadians went back to their reserve. We call it a reservation. They'd been part of a small church before 1,200 people on the reserve. The small church went through a split. So now they had two little churches. They were really discouraged, two very little churches. But they went back together, so encouraged by the meeting, and started holding services each night. And people started coming, getting saved, getting touched. So after a number of weeks, they were exhausted. They called in other pastors and leaders. So that's one of the pastors I met sometime after that. And, and the meetings went on and on month after month. One year later, one year later, the most remarkable story I've ever been part of, we were told that 1,150 out of the 1,200 people on the reserve had come to faith. 1,150 out of 1,200. When I heard the news, I, I went to tell Nancy later that day, and these were her opening words to me, and you can't take any credit for it. That was her response with a smile. She goes, just think of all the thousands of people you prayed for, and that never happened before. It's like, okay, you're right. Now can we rejoice? But the thing is, we might think power, command of God. No, no, it's the spirit. It's the spirit. At the same time, okay, I realize I have an anointing, a calling, a grace. I want to walk worthy of that. And I want to be in faith for that when I minister to others, fully recognizing it's God's gift. Otherwise, boy, we are in big trouble. We, we are utter fools if we think, look at me, look at me, look at the power of the anointing. You know, God 
gives us a word by his spirit about someone's life. It's this amazing, we, we give this prophetic word and they're weeping and it's so accurate. And we're like, oh, look at me. No, you did, you did zero. You just didn't get in the way. God worked through you. Let him get all the glory. The moment we think of that we're somebody, man, we're in big trouble. Fantastic answer. This next one, I really personally need help on. I need to understand this. Two words are thrown around in the midst of abusive situations. One is cover and the other one is honor. And it seems like these two things are used many times to uh, hide uh, or, or keep people quiet. Have you seen this before? Yeah, uh, sure. I mean, and different words can can be used. So whatever can be righteously covered before God, uh, it's a wonderful thing to do. It, in other words, um, if there's a situation between you and God that doesn't go anything beyond that, right? You know, you thought wrong thoughts and, and God knows. He said, Lord, I am so sorry for entertaining those thoughts. Okay, you don't need to tell the whole world. You don't need to tell people exactly what you were thinking. Uh, I mean, I'm starting with ridiculously obvious things, but I think it was Greg Laurie. I once heard him radio decades ago saying something like, you know, he'd preached about confessing sin or something. And right before a service, a guy came up to him, one of the congregants, and said, hey, I, I, I just want to tell you, I've always thought you were a jerk. I just, you know, I just want to confess that and then walks away. Okay, we, you don't do that. Or, or a guy doesn't go up to a, to a young lady and say, I, I just want to confess I've had a lot of lustful thoughts towards you. You know, that's, that's idiotic and unnecessary. So obviously certain things, you know, if you have a dispute within the family that you can keep within the family, fine. But if one of the family members broke the law, well, now you need to go to the police, right? So in the same way, if there are things that you're dealing with in a ministry that do not cross certain lines, that can be dealt with in-house, in front of the public eye, that can avoid people's shame, that can avoid shaming a family or bringing reproach to a, a ministry or a church as a whole— that's a wonderful thing to do. And, and love covers a multitude of sins. So when it's a righteous and good thing, nothing's being hidden, nothing's being swept under the carpet, but you're just saving people from public shame, et cetera. That's a, that's a good thing. It becomes tremendously abused, though, when we use it to cover sin that is not repented of, to cover sin that does cross certain lines, to cover sin that must be exposed and brought public. That's where it becomes really, really bad. So here's the philosophy, right? Here's the philosophy. I have this worldwide ministry that reaches millions and millions of people, or I lead this church that is so active in the community and, and is feeding the poor and, and helping the needy and sending money around the world to, to do important mission work. If, if it becomes known that I've been frequently strip clubs, say, or it becomes known that I was stealing money from the ministry over a period of years or from the church, that, that is going to hurt people around the world. That's going to make the name of Jesus look bad. That's going to hurt our community. So, so listen, I'm just going to share in secret with somebody what I've been doing, and then we'll just cover it. No, that's unrighteous. That, that's sinful. That's destructive. 
that that's covering over evil that's that's saying that that leaders can live a double life again so it's it's a different it would be an entirely different thing if an elder came to other elders and said hey the last few months i've just been struggling with porn i've been on these websites a few times right, let's sit down let's fix this together let's get more accountability in your life etc we don't have to go make an announcement to the whole congregation you know, and say he he's, he messed up a couple of times online and because no, shame the wife and all that. No, you don't have to do that. But there are other things where lines are crossed. And because the Bible does not explicitly lay out all the lines, you get all these terrible abuses. And the spirit of it is this. When there is true confession and true repentance you're like, hey, if I, I'll tell the whole world if that's helpful. I'll, I'll, whatever needs to happen, if I never minister again, whatever needs to happen to see the Lord glorified and to see righteousness come, let it happen. That's, that's someone whose heart is clean before God and man. Hey, whatever needs to be done, I'm, you know, you, you've, you've pointed these things out. They're 100% right. I'm guilty as charged. What can I do to make things right? where the spirit is wrong is we can't let this get out. Now the word can be said, we got to sew this up in house. And, and, and then when it becomes like mafia kind of stuff, it's like you pay people off to keep quiet or here, we're, we're going to just bless you and send you here just to keep you quiet. I mean, that that's obscene. Uh, I've, I've never personally been involved with something where, where I've, I heard people doing that, but I've heard rumor of these things happening elsewhere. You know, uh, very real accusations that that people were paid hush money. So, if you cannot honor a leader by dishonoring the Lord, because I honor a leader, if I see this leader is is in sin, then either me or the right method of confronting this person, it has to be done. Because if I honor that leader, then I can't allow them to to be living a blatant double life or, or walking in willful compromise and sin. And when the attitude is, when you go, let, let's just say, for example, that you're a part of a congregation and you happen to, you're in another part of town and you see, you see your pastor picking up a prostitute, you know, walking out of a liquor store, uh, drunk and then picking up a prostitute. Well, you have no relationship to the person you can't go to them, but it behooves you then to go to leadership and say, okay, I know it says don't uh, receive an accusation unless it's in the presence of two or three witnesses against an elder. You say, well, I'm, I'm coming as one witness, and I'm sure I can find others that saw the same thing. And if their attitude is they rebuke you, get out of here, we don't want to hear from you, or, hey, look, you saw, you think you saw thus and such, but it wasn't the pastor because I was with him. They, now, now you know there's a problem there, uh, the, the cover-up, the refusing to hear, whereas it should be. That's, that's a very serious – you say you're 100%. Okay, well, we're going to do our best to look into it because if this is true, this, this, this must be dealt with, and the pastor's going to have to sit down and, and get his life in order. So, uh, you know, again, we need to understand why certain things would be covered – you don't want to shame someone. You know, that's why you don't name the name of, you know, there's uh, someone rapes a 13-year-old girl. And now the court case. Well, you don't want to name the girl. You want, you want to avoid shaming her. You want to avoid shaming her family. 
and, and bearing the pain that she's living through. On the other hand, to not report the crime, to not bring it to attention because it would hurt the ministry, that's, I, I mean, I, I have no words for that. Because uh, that's nothing to do with that's not ministry. That's nothing to do with ministry. That has nothing to do with the Lord. Uh, it has to do with my kingdom, building my empire, and I've got to protect it at all costs. And that's terribly sinful and destructive. I've noticed that you've used a, extreme examples concerning sexual immorality just to kind of drive the point home. Is there other things we should be looking for that would be not necessarily the extreme of sexual immorality? but other things that can be dealt with the same way. Yeah, so look, if here's the deal. If, if someone is violating scriptural standards for a leader, as laid out in 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1 or, or other relevant passages, if they are blatantly not living by that uh, and they respond the same way to confrontation or those around them respond the same way, it's, it's the same issue. So, so, for example, uh, you know, if, if you're working with someone that's having temper tantrums, senior leaders screaming, yelling, slamming doors, using profanity, you know, attacking people verbally, well, okay, it's the same deal. That person cannot be in active leadership and act like that at the same time. So, you know, there could, there could be endless things. There could be that... Uh, it's not just that the kids are going through a rebellious phase and, and, and the dad or the mom are trying to govern the house in the midst of this, is that everything's completely out of control, that the marriage is out of control, that, that the, the leader acts like a little child. Well, those are, those are concerns. I mean, we could come on with endless examples. It's not a matter of we're sitting around scrutinizing, scrutinizing everybody. And looking for one little failure or trying to read, so oh, why they do that? Why did, we're talking about people that blatantly, clearly fall short of biblical standards. And generally speaking, if someone's heart is right with the Lord, when confronted, they'll respond in a right way. There may be an initial reaction, but if their heart's right with God, they will respond in a right way and humble themselves and want to make things right. And it's those that respond in a bad way that make you wonder, is there even more going on? Uh, Gladstone said to me just the other day that many times we sacrifice truth on the altar of relationship. Have you seen this before? Sure. Can yeah, you explain yeah. it to us? Okay. So look at it a couple of different ways. One is I don't want to hurt your feelings. And you come to me with questions and different things. And, and I'll rather tell you what you want to hear because I want to keep you as a friend. Uh, the economist Thomas Sowell said, when you want to help others, you tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear. So many times we just do that interpersonally, that uh, we just don't want the person to feel bad or we don't want them to reject us. It's the biggest thing. If I tell them the truth, they'll reject me. If I'm just a, a yes person and just tell them what they want to hear, then they'll keep me as a friend. Of course, I'm not a real friend then. Uh, you, you, you referenced earlier, reading from Playing With Holy Fire, Proverbs 27, 6, uh, which says that the kisses of an enemy are, are profuse, but faithful 
the wounds of a friend. And before that, verse five, open rebuke is better than secret love. So a real friend will tell you the truth. Sometimes for the sake of the relationship, we don't. It could also pan out where uh, you are in a ministry or organization where you just, you don't rock the boat. So it's like, okay, we all know that this person has this weakness. We all know that this behavior is destructive, but we just don't talk about it here because we want to keep the peace. And all that we do is, is just spread a, a cancer or a disease. All that, all that we do is, is pretty much guarantee that there's going to be harm or hurt somewhere. Because again, we, we're going to end up reproducing who we are and what we do. So yeah, it, it happens. And, and look, it's very difficult when you have five people that you love or 10 people that you love who are all saying, look, we, we just decided for the good of the ministry, the good of the organization, we're, we're just, we're going to leave this thing and we're going to move on as if it never happened. And you're like, but we can't, we, it's not right. You know, it's not right in the sight of God. And now you're thinking, okay, if I take this stand, I may lose my best friends here or I may be put out of my position. And so you search your own heart, Lord, am I being obnoxious? Am I, am I being stubborn? Here are others that I love and esteem, and they have a very different viewpoint. And you humble yourself and you search it through. But if you know that, you know, I, I can't compromise this. If I compromise this, I sell my own soul. You have to do what's right, regardless of what it costs you. And you may lose friends. You, you may lose a ministry position. You may lose a lot more, but what are you going to do? Second Corinthians 13, 8, and we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. Truth is going to stand. How would, how are we supposed to respond if we hear accusations against a friend of ours in ministry? So uh, whether I hear something rightly or wrongly, in other words, whether it came through the right process, that it was handled rightly, and now the accusations come, or it's just some accusation floating around, it's very easy to immediately dismiss it. I realized decades ago that I had a double standard, that if you came and accused a friend of mine, I'd say, can't be true. If you came and accused someone that I really didn't like, I'd think, oh, it's probably true. So, you know, I, I realized that double standard was there. So if it's someone that I know well, and the accusation seems outlandish, my response would be, hey, look, I, I know that person. This seems absolutely outlandish, but tell me, Tell me what you've heard. Tell me what you know. What's the evidence for it? How much is this his first hand? Uh, are there any others that that can verify this or bring similar charges? I, I would investigate a little bit more. Uh, and, and then if it's really sounded like there was substance to it, I would go to that person and I'd say, hey, I, I, I've, I've heard this. It seems, it seems crazy and possible to me, but... The accusations seem credible. Uh, any, do you, do you have any, um, of course I'd ask the Lord, right? And the Lord may just tell me that person's guilty and it's much worse than this, etc. Or the, or the reverse, they're being falsely accused. It's just some person who has a vendetta against their ministry. But I would ask them, is there any basis for this? Do you have any idea why someone might be saying these things? And, and then you go from there to try to, to probe in a loving way or, you might tell by the response, you know, that it's the thing's completely bogus or that they're guilty. So it's very easy to just dismiss the thing out of hand. 
uh, because you love the person and, and know them. Uh, and in many cases, it's just bogus. It's a misunderstanding or it's a false accusation or it's some internet myth that got misunderstood and twisted and so on. Uh, other times, it's painfully, horrifically real. Uh, I remember uh, the pastor I worked with, uh, I was kind of his right-hand man, like a prophetic elder in the church, a small church in, in the 80s. And I had warned him months earlier that there was junk in his life. I, I just knew something was wrong. And I warned him in the strongest terms that, that, uh, about, about things. And he just dismissed it out of hand. He said, I'm clean. I'm good. He and his wife just looked me in the eyes. We're good. We're clean. And it um, wasn't that long afterwards, a friend calls and says, Mike, um, I, I think you should know there are reports that, that when he went away for prayer retreat recently, he, he didn't go away to pray. He took off with this, this woman that was living with him. And uh, so immediately it's like, I, I still don't believe it. I didn't think there was anything anywhere near that in his life. Even though I had warned him, I didn't think it was anything like that, that bad. And um, I said, well, look, he's innocent until proven guilty. And then she said, Mike, I saw him making out with the lady in, in the van uh, a few days ago. And then when I went to pray, God said, he's guilty. And, you know, I had to confront him and tragically he didn't, didn't have a right response. And, you know, we had to remove him, not in a way that was restorative. We just had to remove him because he, he went down fighting and, and trying to hurt others and then had repeat adulteries after that. Um, but, you know, look, I've had false charges brought to me about people and true charges. A true friendship, you want to think it's impossible, but true friendship says, okay, if it seems credible, let, let me look into it. I want to leave some time for some people to ask maybe a question or two. But before we do, can you just answer this last one from me? What do I do if somebody, if I hear false accusations against myself in ministry? Right. So if I know it's false, then I know it's false. Right. In, in other words, if someone accused me of going to strip clubs or stealing money from the ministry or having temper tantrums and screaming and throwing things, okay, well, it's false. It's completely false. And I would just tell whoever's sharing it, it's like, I have, listen, I am not claiming to be perfect, but I can guarantee you none of that is within a million miles of being true. And uh, I have no idea what you're talking about, where you're getting this from, but God knows and everybody close to me knows it's completely false. So, uh, you better try to get to the root of that rumor and fix it. On the other hand, what if someone said to me, um, you know, there's, I can tell there's something wrong in your life in ministry. I, there's, there's just pride and, and you're not walking in the anointing. Maybe it's someone close to you, you know? Uh, well, none of us like to hear that. Right. And, and it's easy for us to, to say, Hey, look, God's using me in this and that. Whereas uh, the right response is, okay, why do you feel that way? And this, I, I'm not aware of that, but I'll go to the Lord, and and I'll I'll you know I'll talk to those closest to me, and say, hey, do you think there's any truth to this? Now, I don't mean you can do it. So I'm a, I'm a public figure, right? So I I get lied about, accused by the second, you know, you don't respond to everything. But there are things where someone that you know comes to you. I mean, it happened to me uh, decades ago where uh, it was the early 90s. I was preaching at Times Square Church for David Wilkerson. I'd written books like End of the American Gospel Enterprise and How Saved Are We? 
I was seeing God move as I was preaching, going to the nations and seeing God move. And the wife of the senior leader of our team, I led the school and he led the overall ministries. She called and just had a concern and she and her husband had been praying and just detected something was just off in my ministry. And, and I, I didn't really get what she was saying. I didn't follow what she was saying, but I responded with pride. I told her, no, you know, you're, it was like a bit harsh or something. I said, look, you should travel with me and see how God's using me. And uh, he's using the book. She goes, the books are different. I thought, well, the books are pretty hard. Some have been harsh. There's like some kind of edge. So I, I rejected what she was saying. Now, again, I had a hard time hearing, understanding her point, but I responded with pride. Not that long after that, I get a call from David Wilkerson, wanted to share with me something God had taught him when he was about 61. And at that time, I would have been 37. And uh, it, was, it was a lesson that God had taught him like the previous year or something. And he wanted to, to share it with me because he saw a similarity in our ministries and knew this is an, an error I could fall into. And it was really what, what our, uh, Patty, the, 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 the leader's wife, was trying to tell me, but he really articulated it because of what he had lived through. And I thought that's it. Uh, I, I heard it. I received it. I, I, I was so blessed to receive this correction and input. And he saw I got it instantly. I wrote him a long letter thanking him and all that. Well, what I found out subsequently was Patty and her husband, Dan, that uh, Dan Jester led the ministry, that after she talked to me and got off the phone, she was frustrated because I wouldn't hear her. And they got on their knees and they said, God, Mike won't listen to us, but he'll listen to Leonard Ravenhill or David Wilkerson. <laughs> Have one of them call him. And then David calls me uh, to speak this into my life because God had shown him something similar in his own life. And, and I remember Phil and Nancy in on the conversation and I started crying and she said, why are you crying? I said, because God loves me enough to correct me. <laughs> I just felt this tremendous goodness of God that he didn't just let me grow the ministry in a way that would have had something unhealthy in it. So, you know, the, the issue was not the issue. The issue was my response, which was prideful. And it's, it's shameful to me to think that I responded like that, but it's easy to do. So we don't want to be always looking over our shoulder or super introspective in a, in a way that can be unhealthy. But if, if someone, especially that loves us, that prays for us, comes and tells us they see something wrong, or we've been in the flesh, they see a tendency, we're too friendly with you know, people of the opposite sex, or we're you know, just, the, just kind of seeing a little looseness. If we respond defensively, then, then we need to step back and think, well, okay, why did I respond so defensively? Otherwise, say, hey, I'm not aware of that, but thanks for bringing it to my attention. I, I promise you I'll go to the Lord. And you, you go to the Lord honestly, and if there's nothing there, there's nothing there. And the false ones, you just, with a smile, tell the person, <laughs> you could not be more wrong if you tried to create a false scenario. And everybody anywhere near me knows it's 100% false. So I don't know where you got that from, but you got the wrong person. Can we have five more minutes with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we'll, we'll take a few questions. Sure. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just go to about 8.05. All right. Yeah, and I'll try to be concise in my answers here. Okay. If you guys got questions, go ahead, raise your hand. I know, I know there's people. Go ahead, Janice. Dr. Brown, I have Matthew for you up first. Okay. Go ahead, Matthew. You got to unmute yourself. There we go. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown. That was a blessing. Wow. It was powerful. Um, I'm a pastor in Virginia, 
And there's been some, I recently have stepped away actually to do some just evangelism to travel now, but that's not the question. There's a group of people, one of my close friends, a brother in Christ, several of them that are, they've recently read a book by Frank Viola, an older book, Pagan Christianity. And it seems like there's a movement across America even of coming out, de-churching, coming out of the church, which I see a place for the restructuring of some things. Obviously, we all know there's stuff missing, but I don't see it as demolishing everything. I see it as more of a restructuring, integrating, and trying to build with what we have. Anyways, um, how do I approach them? I see that as an era. A lot of them have went Lone Ranger. They're not under authority or any covering. I still believe in having coverings accountability authority these group of men and women are coming out from all authority and just forming a group on like tuesday nights and that's church now they've abandoned the structured church for that and now and that's fine and good if they're if they're getting the discipline accountability the word you know but i just wanted to throw it out there i want to leave time for other people to ask questions but how do i approach that as a pastor yeah so uh First, what's interesting is that Frank Viola and I, we're not close, but we're in email contact and some years ago got to spend a a nice few hours together. And when you bring up some of Frank's earlier books, he'll kind of smile at you and say, yeah, that was that was uh, I don't want to put words in his mouth. But in other words, there was a bit of an extreme position that he 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 took on certain things that help with that overreaction. You know, he had written a book kind of uh, attacking the idea of the pastor as the covering. And John Bevere had written a book about the importance of being undercover. We used to tell our grads, read both books, read both books, because the truth is in between there. Um, You know, and even the idea of a a covering, I look at it more as just being in in family relationships. Those who are older, more mature in the Lord, helping to to give guidance, because ultimately it's still going to be each individual and the Lord. Um, but it, what I would say is, hey, there's a lot of good stuff to get from there, but filter it through what God is doing. And around the world, he's working in church communities and he's working with clear leadership. So even though we're all part of the body, you know, when you read Hebrews 13, 17, obey those that have the rule over you, or where the Bible talks about leadership, you just say, look, it doesn't matter whether you're in your church building or not. But are the leaders proven leaders? Are they people who've been sent out by other leaders? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it may be a church plant, but what you have to do is say that the, the worst sin you, you can commit is, is Luke 18, where the Pharisee and the tax collector pray, and the Pharisee says, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Yeah. So what I find, I, I started to write a book many years ago countering that. I never finished it called Spiritual Elitism. But it was that danger of, of thinking, I've got it right. So you just tell them, listen, the moment you think that you now have authentic church or authentic New Testament or any of that, the moment you do that is the moment that you are now in error. And that God, God is much more likely to work through a traditional church, with a lot of human ideas, along with the Bible, where they humble themselves and love Jesus. He's a lot more likely to work in that environment than the environment where you cast off all the alleged wrong stuff and think you're special. So what I'd say, listen, there are millions of different expressions that God will work through, but the key thing is the attitude of the heart. And the moment you fall into spiritual elitism, it's, it's real danger there. So lean what you can, but, but recognize God's working in all these different ways. 
I remember in the post-Brownsville days that that there were students who were completely critical on denominations and that kind of church structure. And I said, why did God choose to part the spirit in the assembly of God church then? You know, he should have just said, I won't work in a place like that. It, all of our structures, wineskins are somewhat flawed. And all of us are subject to tradition and culture and custom more than we realize. So we do our best to honor the words. I would just say, look, if there's a healthy structure with healthy leaders, if you're not reactionary, if fruit's being born and lives are being changed and there's order, wonderful. The moment you judge others, that you become part of the problem. Yeah. All right. Next question. Next I'll have David for you. Okay. Go ahead, David. Hey, Dr. Brown, uh, my question is, if you find yourself, you've come out of a spiritual abusive and manipulative situation, but you still have loved ones in it, and uh, maybe they don't see it or don't fully recognize it. Do you have any advice or anything to speak into that? Yes. Yeah, so obviously, it's not... It, it's it's not a cop out to say that the first thing you do is pray. I mean, that's always the biggest, yeah. biggest, biggest thing. But I don't I don't pray accusatory prayers. I pray healthy prayers. So in other words, I would pray for them, Lord, bless their lives, cause them to thrive in you. If there's anything in the environment they're in that's unhealthy, show them as opposed to Lord, get them out of there. There's one thing if they're in a cult, you know? Yeah. But if it's just it's part of the body in there. So I would, I would. Pray that God would bring them to full health and strength. And if there's anything in their environment that's unhealthy, that God would save them from it, deliver them from it. And, and then I would, I would look for an opportunity. If something comes up, if you say they've been wounded or hurt, that you kind of draw things out and say, hey, remember we had that conversation about why I left? See, this same thing happened to me five times over. And, and this happened to, to this other friend. That's why we all left. And then the light may go on for them. So if you if you try to press them in a way that they're not ready, that may now get them feeling that you're trying to, you know, oh, yeah, that's why the church told you this, that you need to stay away from that person because they're divisive. They're trying to hurt. But if, if they themselves can be open and vulnerable, then just say, hey, do you think that's the healthiest situation? Or, hey, you know, I'm in another situation where the leadership is not like that at all. And then... Let that person know, hey, there's there's life on the other side, and and you can be liberated also. All right, a couple more questions. And next I have Bree for you. Hi, Doc. Um, tonight was really important to me. This hits my heart. Um, as you're sharing, there's three ministries I won't name that came to mind. Two I've been directly a part of, and one a friend has been a part of. In every scenario, horrible abuses not sexual morality, but like cursing staff members, ostracizing people. The other one, hidden heresies, not preaching from the pulpit, but twisting people behind the scenes. Another one, falsifying prophetic words publicly, all very well-known ministries. And in every single scenario, I have seen other leaders be appealed to. I have seen elders be appealed to. And while there will be affirmations that this is absolutely wrong, this is absolutely abusive, I have not seen any one of these people held accountable. So myself and close friends are put in this place of there is not justice in the leadership of the body of Christ because it was broken. I'm sorry if that's like a bitter standpoint. It's just how it feels. So it becomes, Lord, you have to vindicate and you have to, to 
bestow justice because people just cover their friends. Um, so my question for you is like, at what point is it, yeah, you know, fall into the hand of the Lord and trust him to do what men are too fearful to do? And at what point is it, no, make a public video? Like if yeah. you've if you've appealed and appealed multiple times over and, and it and you have receipts and you are not heard, at what point do I have a responsibility before God to say, these are direct experiences, here's what has happened, here's multiple witnesses, and let the body know. I mean, very recently there was a well-known worship leader exposed by one of his past staff members with receipts of how he was so abusive to his team and the cult-like behavior in the church. And because he was not listened to by so many people, it went public. I don't know if you know who I'm talking about or not, but uh, like no one wants to be the person to expose another ministry, especially if you've been under it. But yeah. at what point is that appropriate? Yeah, right. So a big, difficult question. The reason it's big and difficult is because on the one hand, this stuff cannot go on in the body. And if we had proper accountability structures uh, in in uh, our independent churches, these things would not go uh, unaccountable unless there was cover up from the top down. You know what I'm saying? That, that everybody was part of the problem. Um, that if you were not heard, if we had our right structures, then there'd be a place where you go. In other words, you don't have to go public because there's a system here and there will be accountability, right? Um, but we don't have that. We have just complete independence. We tried to model things years ago with the whole mess surrounding Todd Bentley. And it was the last thing I wanted to touch or anyone wanted to touch. It was going to be messy and ugly. And for getting anywhere near it, it was one of the ugliest things. Accusations, we're getting these prophetic words. You're going to die young because you touched the anointed. Crazy stuff. But the, the accusations were on such a level and so serious that we said, okay, even though we don't have authority in the matter, we will bring other leaders in, hire an investigator to, to vet out everything they can, and then issue a public judgment. We don't have authority in that person's life or ministry, but for the sake of the integrity of the body and in the name of Jesus, we have to do it. Right. Um, on the other hand, it's, it's really dangerous because uh, a lot of people have perceptions they have their own viewpoint. At what point does it go public? You know, for example, I was shocked years ago, found out there was a there was a, an online group of folks that had graduated from the ministry school that Eric and, and Daniel and others were part of. And we hear oh, they have this online group of grads and they'd love for some of the faculty to get involved. So we're there and, you know, so good to interact with you. You know, wonderful words of love and affirmation, et cetera. But there was kind of a subgroup that, uh, was there to attack and accuse and cult-like or this was wrong or that was wrong. And I'm we're reading stuff like, what in the world are they talking about? It's the craziest stuff. And we're like, Hey, where we fell short, you know, show us. And it was, I mean, it was just people. I remember one guy posted this whole thing about himself and how his situation was, was handled. And we read it as leaders and, and we were utterly shocked. And you talk about reality stood up on its head. And we thought, I thought I have two choices. I can drop out of this group or I can publicly shame this guy. And I just thought, I'm going to leave it. Uh, let him falsely accuse. I'm just going to leave it. So I have seen so much abusive stuff on social media, so much gossip, so much just my perception, people who've been hurt, hurting others, doing incredible damage. So the, the whole problem 
that puts say you in a difficult situation is you don't have the proper outlet that you should have. And you've appealed to other leaders and they've said, sorry, we're not going to do anything. So what else are you to do? That's, that's the problem. I, ideally, ideally, if you could find any leader who is sympathetic, who will then initiate a higher level Matthew 18 process and go to that other you know, person. And if they don't hear it, then go with others. Then if others don't hear it, then let other leaders tell the church. That's really the right process. Uh, if you say I've tried endlessly and no one else is willing to do it and I just have to go public, what I would then do, and again, I, I don't know the level of where things are at, okay? Yep. So uh, uh, please hear me. The whole night I've been clear about the sin of covering things up in a wrong way right. and, and just keeping the ministry or the organization afloat. So you know and there's a way to expose in the wrong way too. So. Right, right. And, yeah. and so I'm, but on the other hand, I see it day and night, the airing of opinions, the, the, the judgments, and, and then people just projecting and, and false accusations. So what I would suggest is this, because there is not a, a clear path for, you know, the whole thing we've been trying to do with, with in Kansas city is, is that's happening um, with or without my involvement. These things are happening with leaders coming together saying, okay, as independent outside leaders, we will make sure that the the full investigation takes place, that all the victims have voice, and then as leaders, we'll sit and and make a statement on behalf of the body, because no such courts of appeal exist. Let's try to set something up. So this is what I would encourage. I would encourage you to privately go to others that are aware of the same abuses, the same situation, right? Mm -hmm. To then put something together. On, on behalf of, of all of you and make one last appeal to the ministry. I, I would try to find any pastor or leader that you know that is willing to stand with you and then say, listen, I'm still trying to confront this privately uh, in a way that can be dealt with righteously before God. But if not, so many people are being hurt and a hypocritical ministry is going on, then we're going to have to go public. We don't want to but we really don't have any other choice. And then the first way of going public is I would alert as many leaders as I can. Uh, and then from there, to whatever extent other leaders can be the voice to this, and now you are the witnesses, that's best. If you had things of breaking the law, sexual abuse, well then, you know, you, that's, that's gonna be on a different level, right? You know, or financial impropriety or different things like that. Uh, but if it's, you know, these, these other behavioral things, ideally find a leader to be the voice all of you be witnesses that failing then all of you together as witnesses confront one more time and say if this isn't dealt with we have to go public and i hate those situations happen it's just yeah i know that's good wisdom thank you yeah yeah and you know listen i i always try to avoid any type of self-righteous behavior like i could never mess up or would never happen to me uh, and try to be quick to receive correction and, and stay low. And thankfully being married to Nancy is a godsend <laughs> in that regard. At the same time, you know, any of us can mess up and, and we've got to be held accountable. It's just that simple. And if, if we're held accountable in a little thing, maybe that'll spare us from messing up in a big thing. 
All right, we'll, we'll do this last question and then I'll be out of here. So your last question is from Inkala. Dr. Brown, thank you so much for your insight and your wisdom and for your time tonight. It's a really challenging subject and we could probably spend many hours listening to you on the answers. But the question I have is, um, how do we minister to younger believers who have been in a, not personally involved in an abusive situation, but part of that ministry and looked to the leader um, as a father figure, looked up to him, etc. So I don't mean just on the disappointment level, but how do we minister to them regarding they now feel how do we discern whom we can even trust? Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate all these questions. Uh, so the first thing is you, you want them to really, really look to the Lord and just tell them that's why we need a Savior, because people fail. And that's why the whole Bible tells us about failings, including failings of leaders, to remind us we need a Savior. And and. You might have said, well, how come God wasn't there when I needed him? Well, he does let people make choices and we make choices, but but he he saved you from the situation. So let's let's first make sure that your faith in the Lord is good and your faith in, in the Lord is healthy. That's the first thing. And then second thing is, hey, let's just we just want to be your friends. We just want to be here to help. And and you take what you feel secure taking. You know, if you've been poisoned in previous meals. And you want us to eat the first bite before you do, you know, or you feel comfortable with certain things. Hey, we're just here to help and serve. And, and then it, encourage them to understand that there's a trust we can put in people that is, is not realistic or not healthy. Mm -hmm. um, Nancy and I have had many conversations about this, but she's, she's always pointed out that Jesus didn't overpraise people. It's a fascinating thing. But you go through the Gospels, you know, he's amazed with great faith. He says, Nathaniel's a man without guile. But you don't find him describing it. He's an amazing man of God. She's an incredible woman of God. You just He doesn't do that because he knows people. He knows our frailty. He knows, you know, this, this, you know on the one hand, I'm true blue. I am who you think I am. You ask anyone around me that's close to me, I am who you think I am. On the other hand, on the, one, on the other hand, it's like, I, I know my weakness or my, my human frailty or God's mercy in my life, you know, and he's an incredible, amazing. No, there's only one that's incredible and amazing. We're all servants and, and living righteously before the Lord, but all living by grace. So tell them, don't, don't look to people in some overexalted way, you know, recognize, Hey, that's a serious servant of the Lord, but it's, it's still a person. It's still a frail human being. So, so don't put that level of trust. And, and then the other thing is, sometimes we, th we, we think we know people and we really don't. And uh, say, you know, sometimes from a distance, people seem a certain way. But when you really get to know them better, that's not who they are. So what I tell people is, trust someone to the degree they've really earned your trust, to the degree you've really seen them live this out, to the degree that you've been in in difficult situations where it's been costly for them to, to be a friend or to be loyal or to be a father. And, and then the last thing I'd say is 
that, you know, as David Wilkerson sat with me once after I'd heard of yet another leader that had fallen, because from 71 to 87, I was in three churches and under one director of a ministry school. Uh, and three out of the four men that either led the church or the ministry committed adultery. And, and the fourth, uh, his wife divorced him, and there may have been some other issues going on. And I remember sitting with David Wilkerson when I just heard about the one guy I never, ever, 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 ever would have believed would commit sexual immorality. And hearing that he did, and, and David said to me, for everyone that doesn't, for everyone that does fall, there are three or four that don't. Well, I wanted him to say 300 or 400 that don't, or even 30 or 40. But the fact is, it's still the exception. In other words, if it appears that that my understanding of of, of, of Mike Bickle and, and who he was, that, that I was wrong and, and thinking that he walked a certain way and lived a certain way, if as more and more accusations are coming, it seemed very credible. But if that is the case, I'd rather be surprised by it than cynical. Because all the other people I've worked with, the team I've been close with, the closest colleagues, have, we, we've worked together for over 40 years and on and on. I'd rather be devastated and shocked to find out something's going on there than to be cynical of everybody. And, and sometimes, you know, how well did I really know certain people? Not that well, actually. We sat around, we had meals together, we talked in good times, we hung out after ministry, but I didn't really know them, share life with them. And generally speaking, your average pastor is not in sexual sin, is not stealing money, is not leading a double life, you know, but these things do happen tragically. Um, so let me just say to everybody that uh, if you don't get my emails, we just launched the brand new frontline newsletter. The one that'll be going out in just a few days is, is tremendous. Uh, I'm sharing testimonies from Fabian, one of our grads, preaching in mosques in the Middle East. I've got a message in it on dreaming to God-sized dreams, uh, an excerpt from How Saved Are We, Jesus the Radical, that every leader needs to read and meditate on, uh, Hebrew word study as, as well. So if you're not getting my emails, Go to thelineoffire.org. The, the, the newsletter is going out later this week, so sign up today. Thelineoffire.org, right on the homepage. Uh, just click to get the frontline newsletter, and then every week we'll also let you know the latest articles and videos we put out so you can have access to the things. Because a lot of these things you're asking about tonight, I, I was writing articles as the, as the accusations started coming against Mike and all this, trying to process it together, putting out videos. So that's where you'll know every week what the resources are. So thelineoffire.org. Sign up for the emails and you'll be blessed. Thank you so much. You are very, very welcome. And blessings to all of you. I love you, Eric. Yes, God bless you. Thank you, you sir. Uh -huh. Yep. So we will stay in touch, okay? Yes, sir. Love you. Love you. Bye-bye.